All right, as already mentioned, I am Pastor Ed. And I am going to be preaching this morning, teaching, in our series in Ephesians 6, using verses 1 to 4. So turn there in your Bible, your apps, whatever devices. Let me read these first four verses. Um quite familiar with some of us here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, Parents asked me to repeat this, knowing I was going to preach it, so I'll read it once more. Um, Children, teenagers, um, they put me up to it. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate or provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I titled my sermon this morning, A Window into the Heart, because... In our Ephesians Walk Worthily series, Walk Worthy series, you know, the first three chapters were about these great theological truths that our faith is anchored, our hope is anchored in. And as we allow those truths to saturate us and for us to contemplate these truths at the deepest roots of our being, They are to uh, take effect and they are to change how we operate, how we behave, how we engage, how we, uh, in today, how we parent, how we, uh, as husbands and wives, how uh, next week uh, workers and bosses. It's to make a difference. And Ephesians tells us, you know, uh, history's moving along. this uh, is working for an ultimate purpose. And in Ephesians 1.10, it tells us that there's going to be a day where all things will be united. See, right now, we live in existence where things are fractured. Husbands and wives are fractured. Uh, parents and children are fractured. Bosses and workers are fractured. All kinds of stress. Uh, church family can be fractured. Friendships can be fractured. There's going to be a day, Ephesians 1.10, that tells us all things will be united in Christ. We don't experience that right now, but we are challenged as followers because Ephesians is written to Christians so that we would engage with it now, in the here and now, because we are a shadow. We cast a a mirror or a reflection of this future existence where all things will be united someday. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, in a healthy way, as Pastor Derek outlined last week, submit, respond to that love graciously. Because you are showcasing that Christ's whole purpose and God's whole reason for creation, that all things will be united under God. But in Ephesians 4.18, it tells us that we are hard-hearted. 
It tells us we are blind and we are ignorant. We as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, though we're charged to reflect this future existence, we have such a, a hard-heartedness and a stubbornness that we won't embrace it because of maybe what it's going to cost me. Our relationships expose that hard-heartedness. Our relationships can be a window into what the mind does not want to see. The question is, are you willing to see it? This morning we will discover how the parent-child relationship can serve as a window into your heart. Now, if you're not a parent, do not check out. Because what I have to say or it applies to all of us, you will see. Now, you know, my first inclination when Derek asked me to preach on this would be to take a traditional approach and, and come up with a to-do list. You know, those things, parents, you can do in order to produce children that will obey and honor their parents. But rather than giving you a to-do list, I'm going to give you a to-be list. Now, there's a place for the to-do list. Certainly in training, there's a place for that. I don't want to discount the importance of helpful information. There's books and seminars and um, um, classes uh, that are excellent and and helpful to you. But often that to-do list distracts us from the deeper work that God wants to do. And that is change our being, our inner attitudes in the secret places that reside within us. We would prefer a to-do list over a to-be list because it's easier. It creates a sense of control. It propagates an illusion of a quick fix. I can change my outward behavior for a season. But the things that reside deeper in my heart, the beliefs that give birth to attitudes that are counterproductive as a follower of Jesus Christ, are much harder to uproot. I want for us to consider the deeper source This morning, as we look at this uh, window through the parent-child relationship, the deeper source of frustration and anger. How frustration and anger sabotages that child-parent relationship. So as we investigate, we'll be asking my challenge for you is less about the to-do with your kids, but what does this, what does Ephesians 6, 1-4 reveal about me? Does it reveal a hardness of my heart? The importance of using our relationships, whether it's husband or wife, parent to child, boss, friends, uh, relationships we have here in the church, is because they're a window to the hardness of my heart, but they're also a window to the hardness of my heart that I have towards God. 
Scripture is pretty clear. You can't say that you love God and you hate your brother. To use this text this morning on the parent-child relationship so I don't go too far afield. There are three key words I'm building my talk around, and that is, one is just the foundation, then frustration, talk about frustration, and then exasperation. Or where Scripture says, uh, men, fathers, do not provoke your children. So first, foundation. The foundation of this uh, text in Ephesians 6 particularly one and two. It tells us to um, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is taken directly from the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Exodus 20, verse 12, where it says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus 20, 12. Notice what's missing. What's missing from that? There's nothing in there about obeying. We are commanded to honor. Obedience is an expression. Obedience comes out of honoring. When you obey your parents, when you obey authority, you are honoring them. That is what is being commanded. Paul here in Ephesians 6 is making a practical application to the families and to the structure of the families and how healthy families are to operate. Honor is a law. An application of it is to obey. It raises the question, and I understand, going through my mind as I um, think about this, there are different stages, you know, certainly the application, a child that's very young where uh, you're trying to protect them just from danger, but then as they get older, adolescence, where uh, issues become more moral or more costly, the tension of what I'm going to say uh, has to be... Um, understood I say that to ask the question can you honor parents and not obey can you honor parents and not obey and so I, I said just a little bit ago because maybe for a six-year-old what I'm asking and and trying to bring to the surface is different for a 12 14 or an adult child that still has a parent and you want to honor that parent. Can you not obey and still honor? Yes. Absolutely. Most definitely. But realize, you know, those times would probably be rare depending on your family dynamics and situation and whether they are a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. What if your parent has a drinking problem and they drink too much, but they ask you, 
drinking problem, alcohol, okay? And they tell you to give them the keys to the car. Most appropriate not to give them the keys to the car. The issue is, are you going to honor them in how you love them by doing the tough thing, the hard thing? The challenging thing is we think about, what does that look like? How in the world uh, do you tell Dad, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't give you the keys to the car. You don't realize it, but you're under the influence of alcohol and you're going to cause damage to yourself and who knows who else. I can't do it, Dad. Let's look briefly just at how Jesus Christ, you know, we have this one little glimpse of Jesus Christ when he had this little... Uh, um, he did not meet the expectations of his parents. Uh, remember when they were in Jerusalem for the Passover, they left and they thought Jesus was with them. They were several days out and they realized Jesus Christ is not here. And they come back, they find him in the temple teaching. They're astonished. And they said, why would you do this to us? We were anxious. We thought you were with the caravan. We thought you were with the friends uh, um, and, and look at his response why were you searching for me he asked didn't you know I had to be in my father's house but they did not understand what he was saying to them Jesus Christ does not accuse he does not blame he does not use questions as a setup to put his parents down or to shame them, to try to manipulate. He asks sincere questions because he is clear on his God given mission. And he wants his parents to understand with greater clarity what that mission is about. And notice the end of verse 51 particularly. We have this episode I just accounted for you. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Okay, He was clear on his God-given mission. Uh, often people were clamoring to get Jesus Christ to reveal his identity and his power with miracles early. And he says, my time has not come. Here's a guy that's focused on his mission. And sometimes it meant he disappointed like his mom and his dad. But he engages in an honorable way. Honor, even at times when uh, you have to take a hard stand, thinking more as adult children. You know, what does it look like? I think we need to understand the nonverbal aspects of honor. How body posture, how facial expression, how tone, how eyes. 
either looking at the person or looking away from the person. All can con- convey honor or dishonor. Your time and how you listen. Listen to truly understand is ways that you honor. Understand what your nonverbal messages reveal about your heart. In, in preparation, and I think this is really true, to really express honor uh, to people, uh, even sometimes when you take a hard stand, uh, you have to understand the culture, and you have to understand how the culture expresses honor. And find a way to do that. Sometimes even within in a family, uh, how you might do it might be unique for one person to the other. You know, one just kind of funny example I have of this, uh, you know, how circumstances and culture may, may change. Granted, this is not in a family context, but it's one that I could identify. Early on in ministry here, we tried to honor uh, Sunday school teachers once a month. And during a worship service, bring him up here and say, here's our teacher of the month. And, and I would share about some of the accolades, the positive things. I'm going to tell you, you don't honor children's Sunday school teacher by making a public spectacle of them, by bringing them up here on the stage. Yeah, I was shooting myself in the foot. No, I'm not going to volunteer. I'm not going to serve if I have to get public uh, uh, acknowledgement and and uh, all those uh, no I so honor understand uh, honor understand how honor within your family within our culture works we are called The second part on the foundations, we are called to honor our parents by obeying. If you look at your text there, why? One simple reason. It is right. It is right. You honor them by obeying not because you agree with them, not because they are smart, they got an important job, You obey not because you're going to get what you want. You do it because it's right. And now, a lot of us, you know, well, I obey, I'll obey, but what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? No. That's the human tendency. But God is teaching here, you do it because it's right. Obeying your parents as an act of honor is considered what many would call from Romans a natural law. It's embedded within the hearts and minds of all people, Christian or not. I'm not saying this is universally true of all cultures, all people groups, but it's certainly a predominant whether Christian or not, is this understanding of the importance of the parent-child relationship and, and the, the children honoring their parents by a responsiveness. 
Healthy cultures that have healthy families understand the importance of mom and dad and that the child understands this submission to authority first as a precursor in the family setting. So God is telling them, this is written on the hearts of men. Children, obey because it is right. It made me realize the whole reason terrorist organizations, they want to uh, uh, abduct, uh, kidnap, recruit early in life to take them away from the parents is for this reason. Honor and obedience is not based on feelings. It is right. So, you know, why here, Paul, why uh, we want to honor our kids and then you elevate obedience is an expression of honor and we are to do it because it's right. Why do you elevate obedience? You could have said, why don't you honor your parents by being courteous? Why don't you honor your parents by being pure or humble or kind? But you uh, raise up obedience. Huh. The call to obedience creates a very internal battle, unlike all others. The call to obedience or submission to authority provokes strong reactions, often intense anger. The challenge to obeying one's parents or anyone in authority is often because it means I'm not going to get what I want. That's what we call frustration. The definition I use for frustration is not getting what I want. You, you know, the bigger issue, you know, in parenting and this parent-child relationship, so kids and parents and, and all adults, is not whether you can eat the cookie before dinner or not. The issue is not whether you can get your curfew stretched from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. The bigger issue is in this stage of life, will you learn to honor your parents through obedience? A child must learn to surrender their own desire and obey at a human level Because it's a precursor to the relationship to God. If you can't practice surrendering your will by obeying an expression of honor with an earthly parent who you can see, I think we're fooling ourselves to say, well, but I can do it to this God that I can't see. The will is so strong that even adults, you know, I, I can speak firsthand here, even Ed Sutter can carry childish ways of expressing frustration when I don't get what I want. Learn early in life, children talking to children and, and teenagers. I know even sometimes you don't like it. I understand that. But even in that time, especially in that time, 
when uh, mom and dad give some kind of instruction you don't like, it's exactly at that time you take a step back and you realize, okay, I'm not getting what I want. Learn then, because my guess, probably all the adults in this room can tell you handling frustrations in healthy ways does not get easier. Does not get easier. How you handle or do not handle frustrations reveal something about the hardness of the heart. Next time you want something and you don't get it, and you start to feel the first signs of the blood starting to get warmer. Try saying these words. Try. See if you can get part of this out. Just say it to yourself. You may want to say it to your mom or dad, or husband to your wife, or wife's husband. It's okay, I don't get what I want. It's not the end of the world. There will be other opportunities. Learn obedience as a child to your parents without heated frustration that dishonors. What you do with frustration is a window to our hearts. Not just to the children, but to us adults. Learn honor now by obeying, knowing that God, kids, the kids that are out here, those listening online, you do your part by taking a step back when you're frustrated, saying, Okay, it's okay. I didn't get what I want. It's not the end of the world. Knowing that God is working on your parents. Particularly fathers. That's what we see in verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Some versions along will say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. See, in 1 through 3, uh, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, he's talking to the parents, mom and dad. So don't misunderstand, 1 through 3, you know, Paul is saying uh, both are critical. Mom and dad, you both are critical. You both are important. You're both valued. Very akin to last week, we tend to give these value structures that are kind of a, a world system. This is not value one more important than the other. They are different and different roles. And in verse 4, he's singling out fathers here. Fathers, don't exasperate your children or provoke them to anger. Elsewhere, Ephesians is clear, man. Uh, um, you are head of the home as Christ is head of the church. You have a responsibility to set the environment of the home. 
to set the tone of the home. Will it be a grace-filled home? Or is it one that has a low-brewing, back-burner kind of tension and hostility? Will it be a home with a constant low-grade tension? Or relax? Kind of humorous. uh, because of the subject matter, uh, reading one account, there there was uh, um, uh, a family and uh, the the little boy at the end of the table said, uh, "Dad, would you pass the salt at the dinner table? Would you pass the salt?" Dad said, "Taking, taking, take. You're always taking." See, that's where uh, you got this low uh, lying, low grade, just tension and anger that's just simmering. And non-related things will provoke it. Fathers, you got to identify that and deal with it. Because it is impacting your family. Don't blame your wife. Uh, I know how that works. I do it. my wife here I turned her alarm off so that she (laughs) that's a can we cut the tape I'm sorry Connie if you're watching at home (laughs) I'll be home late (laughs) but in sincerity I I have a lot to learn here will it be a grace-filled home or one that is hostile Will it have this low grade of tension or be relaxed? You know, don't blame your wife. Don't blame your job, your circumstances, your in-laws, your lack of income. All you can control is that attitude within you. Yes, there are circumstances and people that will be challenging. But you can choose grace over anger. Particularly fathers with your children particularly because they're just in that moldable they they are are starting to set their patterns for life and they perceive and can take in things far beyond just the verbal so be aware of how that uh, percolates up through you and and impacts those around you don't be overwhelmed by what I'm saying, being perfect, but just choose a course towards reducing it, identifying it, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Notice, men, it does not say, do not provoke your kids to covet. Do not provoke your kids to lie. All good things, you would want to make sure that you are not uh, kind of uh, putting them in position where they're going to be more apt to lie. Or steal, do not provoke your kids to steal, but instead don't provoke them to anger. Why anger? Why is anger singled out? Now, Paul doesn't tell us specifically why anger, but I think for most of us, it doesn't take a psychologist or a rocket scientist to know. Anger is the most common emotion when it confronts, when it's confronted with authority. Most common. 
God is saying in the parent-child relationship, anger will be inevitable. Fathers, do not use your authority to cause unnecessary anger. Paul is not saying all anger is wrong. There will be times, Father, you have to take the hard stand and it will provoke anger and it is the right thing. But Paul is saying avoid avoidable anger. Fathers, do your work to resolve your anger. That might spill out. That really has nothing to do with your children or your wife. Fathers, we need to understand the main issue in making our children mad is we are mad. Men, we can provoke our children to anger because of our own issues that are not related to them. It's the adage, you know, something happens at work and you come home and kick the dog. Eventually, the dog learns that you're coming home and they get out of there. Well, now, your, your kids may not run and hide like that dog physically, but if there is this sense of tension and reaction, they may start to hide their feelings. They may start to hide their thoughts, what they really believe. They may start to hide what they really want to say. They may begin, they may begin to suppress their curiosity, their creativity, their courage to take risk if the prevailing mood in the home is tense versus relaxed. Learn how stress and frustration creates a mood that prompts you to become controlling, demanding, judgmental. All ways that will provoke people to anger, including your children. The, the other reason why um, anger, Paul probably uh, raises anger in the front of children because he wants him to learn healthy patterns now because adults can certainly verify it doesn't get any easier and they stay with you, is that anger in the home, in the church, in the workplace is cannibalistic. Cannibalistic. It devours all the positive emotions. It makes relationships um, uh, difficult. Anger consumes like a forest fire. Devouring everything in its path. Very destructive. Uh, fathers, uh, don't just settle for not provoking your kids to anger. Certainly that is a, a good first step but point them to the positive attitudes and emotions that you want them to grow into, that you want them to inspire to, that you want them to incorporate them in their lives. And that's what the rest of verse 4 tells us. Nourish your children. Cherish them. Value them. 
Not just in words certainly spoken, but also as we talked about earlier in your nonverbal. Provide for them the positive direction, not just uh, the absence of, of anger, but this is where I want you to move towards. Teach them about kindness, gentleness. Teach them that soft answers do turn away wrath. Teach them about patience and love. Teach them about wholesome talk. It's a tall order to reduce the anger I know in me. I'm still in process. I don't even have kids in home. But I still have that uh, childlikeness in me that can get frustrated and that can respond in unhealthy ways. And so to the, uh, continue on the path to eradicate it is a, a challenge. You must uh, not just simply, I, I got to quit being angry. I got to quit being angry. We got to nip it deeper within us. Our anger is so deeply ingrained that a lot of us are unaware how deep it is. That's why it talks about this hardness of the heart, that, that blind, that makes us ignorant. And that's why we need relationships because if we're willing to have our eyes open in terms of our relationship, they will reflect the condition of your heart. So you need to counter your beliefs that are embedded, that quickly give rise uh, uh, to anger with something else. A different belief system that will counter I'm not getting what I want. It is going to be the end of the world. God, what belief can I inject in there that will counter that, that will take the edge off of that anger that has been um, resident for years? I think we got an answer in Ephesians 4.31. Look at this. He's coming to the end, right when he's going to transition into relationships. And in Ephesians 4.31... He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of brawling and slander along with every form of malice. But how, God? Yeah, I I can say it, but when I'm in the throes of some kind of, uh, I I want something so badly and I'm not going to get it, uh, I can't back away. Look at 5, chapter 5, 1 and 2. tells us, be imitators. Be imitators of God. Other versions, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly love children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, it's, it's telling us, learn to become an imitator of God. Identify thoughts that fuel your anger with pictures of how Jesus Christ responded with stress and pressure. When you think life is giving you a bad deal, that you deserve better, that family members are just out to irritate you or get to you. 
and they're making life hard on you. Whatever the voices in your head tell you that irritate you, that's exactly when you need to learn to imitate Christ and have biblical thoughts and scriptures. Carry snapshots of Jesus Christ with you. Two that are powerful that we can take into communion with uh, time. Two that are powerful for me that counter the voices of anger, uh, um, not always successfully, but they might give me that foothold to get my stability to not go there. Is Christ in the garden? Christ in the garden. Um, he gave up so much, his heavenly home, becoming a servant. He comes unto his own, and his own receive him not. And it's on the throes of when he's going to be crucified. And Christ can say, not my will, but yours be done. Hold on to that phrase. Let that saturate your mind when you're battling, uh, I didn't get the promotion I want, uh, um, uh, my parents denied my curfew extension. Um, okay, it's not the end of the world. It's really not about my will. It's about God's. The second picture that keeps coming to my mind in, in the throes when I'm frustrated is Christ on the cross. Uh, after all he gave up, if anybody got a bad deal in life, it was Jesus Christ, God. He comes unto his own and his own receive him not. And they persecute, they belittle, they shame. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Next time in your circumstance, you're feeling the frustration. Uh, let that come into your mind and counterbalance that uh, surge of anger. Instead of Christ reacting with frustration and anger, exasperating the people around him that he loves and cherish, he lavishes them with grace and mercy. What an example for us. I invite us as a backdrop for communion to even allow the picture of communion. The reason why communion is important, it is a time of re reflection. It is a time to invite God to search our hearts because we are recalling the great price, his blood and the bread that represents the body of Christ that he sacrificed for you. He gave so much. So what does it call and ask of me? This is a time that you can even use communion to counterbalance that tendency. So we teach here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are invited, whether you're a member of this church or not, you're invited to partake of communion. That's why we give, uh, Matt's going to do two songs, so we have a time of reflection and we can uh, confess sins. Not perfectly, but to the degree that you are aware. And so he instituted the Lord's Supper right when he was going to be betrayed. 
he has his disciples together and he says, you know, there's going to be some hard times up ahead. There's going to be times you're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to want to uh, inflict anger onto other people. But I want you to remember something. Choose a different path. Choose grace and mercy. I am giving my self for you. So the worship team will come up and we'll have the two time, um, two songs. Feel free at your leisure, at your pace. It looks like they're all in the front, so just come forward. But let me uh, pray. Father, thank you for the great challenge. This, you know, this is exciting. You know, as we we sung some songs, what, what what's exciting is. It's because of your death, we don't have to be chained in bondage to anger and frustration. Uh, Because of your sacrifice, providing through your spirit that opens our eyes to see a different path, rather than retribution, we can choose grace and mercy regardless how the children, co-workers respond. Because it's right. And ultimately, God, you set an example. And we see it by the servant posture that Jesus Christ took by humbling himself, coming and dying, that opened the pathway to deal with this hardness of our heart and rebellion. We give you thanks in Christ's name.